We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Odo, and you're listening to episode 41, Fear and Loathing in Ixalan. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line. It's uh, been a couple of weeks since we talked, so it's not really again. I feel like it's been been forever here. Yeah, it's been like three weeks, dude. How how are you, sir? Life is good in Travis land. It's it's good to be Travis. How are you, Dave? Uh, it's good to be me, now that I'm not sick anymore, but um, it's good. Back from vacation. Vegas was fun. Uh, listeners of the mic check will will hear some fun stories about that. But uh, I'm ready to get back, ready to get back to the stream, get back to the podcast, back to some magic. I haven't played in like, I don't know, two and a half weeks, it feels like. So oh, goodness. it'll be good. Okay. Has anything changed since I left? No, there's, and, and we're going to get to this and we're going to talk about it. But like Ixalan's getting a lot of hate as a limited format. I have heard people describe it as the worst limited format of all time. And I don't think that's fair. It's certainly not fair to Mercadian masks, but I mean, even if we go back to stuff in recent memory, I still don't think it's fair. Mm, I feel like we should have a talk about that one. So maybe we'll start there. Uh, and then you wanted to talk about um, uh, kind of relevant to this weekend, but more relevant to your interests is um, you get a lot of questions about the PTQ system on Magic Online. Yeah. And you, you kind of want to set the record straight on on how that works. And then you have a you're playing in a PTQ coming up. Is that correct? Or no, the mocks. Yeah, it's the mocks. It's the mocks finals on the 11th. And I need to have a standard deck ready to play in that. And I don't, uh, you, you've so seen, maybe we can, yeah, you've seen some of the pain. We can, <laughs> maybe we can find you a standard deck. Let, let's do that. What do you say? Yeah, I'm on board. All right, sweet. So, uh, well, let, let's just get started. So, um, I was noticing this before I left and then on Twitter while I was gone. And now that I'm back, I'm still seeing it, uh, especially with the pro tour coming up and you've noted it as well here is that there's a lot of hate for, for Ixalan as a format, as a draft format. Mm -hmm. Um, not really seeing any feedback as a sealed format, but I imagine it's the same. And, um, the common, I guess, sentiment is that it sucks and no real reason why it sucks, at least as far as I can tell, like I'm not reading that far into it here but it seems like a lot of people are just saying it sucks and, and move along um and you want to defend that i kind of want to defend that but i haven't played it as much as you so uh, i feel like you're probably coming at it from a better perspective than i am but um i was thinking maybe we could just run down like why is it good why is it bad and come to a consensus at the end that's probably someone there in somewhere in the middle of like best format ever and worst format ever i think so i i think it's kind of an average format but i, I understand some of the main reasons why people are complaining about it. And I, I think if they'll kind of take some advice, get a little bit over that, they can enjoy a great format and become better magic players because the lessons that you're learning in Ixalan are lessons that I learned 10 years ago. And we just haven't had to use in recent magic memory, but we could see these again. And like it, it, it's good to get this under your belt, understand how it works and play well. I'm still way over 60% win percentage in Ixalan. Like I'm having a blast drafting Ixalan. I get to win all day. Now that that's going to make me like the format more than I should, but I can recognize that like, I don't enjoy it as much as I did hour of devastation. And I, I think that's key point. Number one that I'll bring into the, why people are saying Ixalan sucks is our devastation was awesome, dude. We've said this before, right? It was one of the best, regarded as one of the best formats in in recent memory yeah it it had awesome exciting bombs awesome exciting flavor and then everything had cycling stapled to it so you had far less non-games we're like well i you know i only had two lands and then i had my six drop in my hand and i couldn't do anything that didn't happen in hour of devastation because your six drop had cycling you just cycled it no problem um, whereas now we're in a world where there's a cost to playing a six drop in your deck again, and it's a real cost. And people got used to playing less lands in M and Cat because they had all these one mana cyclers and it wasn't a big deal, but it's a big deal now. 
And like we had lands with cycling in Hour of Devastation. So I, I think Hour of Devastation was a lot of fun, very exciting because you could open legitimate bombs. Like there's nothing as good as Glorybringer in the entirety of Ixalan. There's just not, right? Like maybe a hostage taker, if you can land it and then untap with it and cast both of the color. Like Glorybringer was just like, do you have mountains in your deck or maybe just two gifts of paradise? You're good to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I know there were people that complained about the power level in in Hour of Devastation and M and Ket, but I think it was there to balance out cycling. And I think with all of that gone, we've just ended up with a, a lower powered set, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So don't let the fact that you just came from Hour of Devastation where you're like, oh my God, dragons and cycling and mummies hurt Ixalan. That's not Ixalan's fault. Right. So... We talked. You talked a lot before in, in previous podcasts about the flat power level. Um, do you regard that as a good thing or a bad thing? Then in this format, it, having like your uncommons and commons and your your rares not be as bomby, but like having this smooth kind of transition between rares and uncommons, like your top uncommons power level wise. Um, do you do you think that makes for a good format or a bad format? I don't think that necessarily affects the format that much. I think it's just something to recognize and be aware of. Um, I, I think the crucial component here is I hear people complain about getting packs with three cards missing and there's no playables left. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is the crucial piece of Ixalan that people don't get. I had a draft that started today with Adanto's Vanguard into pious interdiction into anointed deacon into shapers of nature and then merfolk from there. I had a great start to a vampire's draft and then I got past a clear signal that Merfolk was open and I abandoned the vampires completely said, all right, we're doing this now. And it was a great Merfolk deck. And I think people are not used to doing that in draft and you have to hear the tribes are so split down the middle that like the white decks that aren't vampires don't want the vampire cards. Red, white aggro has absolutely no interest in Queens commission like two one one tokens for three mana, just not good enough in red white dinosaurs. They don't care. There's a few cards that can play in both sides, right? Like your vampire deck's not going to turn down Hammer Bro, but like the the River Herald's boon. Does your does your green red deck want that? No, it doesn't. I've played it once in that, and it was not very good. Yeah, it's just awful, right? You you, you need that critical mass there. Yeah, no, and and I know what you're saying, but I guess I think where I was going with that is like. You mentioned that like you get to pack four or pick four in a pack and you're like, there's no playables here. And and, like, obviously we have to adjust that. But like, does that make for a good format or a bad format? You know, like I see a lot of people saying that it's bad. And 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 you have this drop off where like, you know, you you don't have bomby bombs and you have really good uncommons and then your next tier down feels like it's this huge drop off to the next tier. Right. So like you you have your Adanto Vanguard at uncommon. And then you have, you know, Bishop Soldiers at Common or something like that. And if, you, if you're pick threeing like a Raptor Companion or something like that, that feels real bad, I think, to some people compared to formats previous where pick three, pick four in, in pack one, you're still seeing kind of these what feel like great cards and you're not getting any duds. It, it feels like, you know, maybe maybe you're seeing cards in other colors that you need to switch to that. That's fine. But like. You know, I've seen a lot of packs where you get to pick four and you're like, well, all these cards suck. There's no removal and there's no good on common and the rares sucks. And it's like it almost feels like a letdown. And I've seen that a few times. I'm not saying that that's correct, but I think that maybe there's that sentiment out there, um, especially if you don't draft a ton. Yeah. And maybe I have the benefit of I've drafted this set. God, when I counted it for the Lords of Limited podcast, I had done 20 drafts and that was three weeks ago. So I expect I've done 60 drafts by now. And sure, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I, and I, I've, I've been focused more on draft than sealed this time around, whereas normally I'm all about sealed. I, I didn't find this to be a particularly wonderful sealed format just because it was so synergy based. But that's what makes the draft interesting. Like we talked about this some before we fired up, but we had Innistrad flashbacks and I had a great time playing Innistrad flashbacks, but the people that were jamming Innistrad and talking about how wonderful it was, and then in the same breath talking about how awful Ixalan was, don't realize that it, it's kind of Innistrad with a facelift. It, it really is. Like Spectral Flight on an Invisible Stalker was actually harder to beat than One with the Wind 
on a jungle delver. And like that, that's a combination that I've seen over and over and over through here. But I, I don't think it's actually that the packs don't have playables. I think it's that you have to figure out what colors are open and then what tribe, what synergy within those colors are open. It's almost like sitting down to draft something like Return to Ravnica with no concept of what the guilds are and thinking, okay, well, I'll draft green, green, blue and return to Ravnica. It'll be fine. It's not going to be fine. That's not supported. Right. So mm-hmm. like you can end up with an, a, a, a black white deck that's dinosaurs and pirates and not understand why it's not functioning properly. It's because, well, you did figure out that pirates were open and dinosaurs were open, but you needed a second. You needed not to be in that that deck. The deck that you wanted was not open. So people will see something like River. I, I think people take I'm using that as an example, but people take it a little earlier than I think. But they'll see something like River Herald's Boon fourth pick and not recognize that um, maybe this is something we should go in on. Or you'll see a good card for vampires like Anointed Deacon. When I see one of those in the first five picks, I'm like, okay, we should probably be doing vampires and move into that. Can I comment about how much we thought Anointed Deacon would suck at the start? Yup. And now how good it is now. Now, is that because we've realized that, well, I mean, actually, this is this is something that, that I think makes the format interesting for me and good for me, good interesting, not bad interesting, is that we've gone from, you know, at least us, but I think a lot of people have done this where we like, in the previews, it's like, hey, tribal's going to be interesting. And then we played with it a bit and we're like, well, tribal's not that interesting. It, like, it doesn't matter. And then we've gone to, like, now tribal's interesting again. And we've kind of gone through this, like, you know, the meta has, has seemed to rotate, or at least the common thinking about what the format is, has rotated quite a bit. Um, and even, like, even the last episode, I think, before I left, uh, or before we did the guest episodes, is I was saying, like, you know, you know, drafting early, drafting more um, cards that are good on their own, is more exciting than drafting those tribal pieces early and then falling into a tribe after that. And like, maybe that's come around again, right? Like I, I haven't drafted since I got back here, but it'd be interesting, interesting to see what people's kind of thoughts are in chat about, you know, are we back to like drive drafting that tribal again? And, and it feels like, you know, going, going back to my, like the drop off in, in the picks, we almost have to learn that maybe we have to adjust what our, our thinking of a good card is and a bad card is. In this, in, in this format in particular, and that's coming from, you know, a bomb-centric format in the in the previous one, or, or formats before where you had, you know, powerhouse cards that you were excited to see fourth pick and that would come around fourth pick because the pack seemed really deep. Um, you know, maybe we just have to kind of step back and adjust what we think is a deep pack um, and not be so disappointed when we get that, you know, shallow pack in, in pick two or, or something like that, and we're like, well, there's nothing here for me. I think if you look hard enough, there's probably something there for you and you just have to kind of adjust that, you know, your heel giant with upside is what you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. That's very well put. And and, and I, I do again think that a part of what made Hour of Devastation so good was having those bombs to counteract cycling. They were offloading the randomness that you would get with Mana Flood or Mana Screw onto bomb rares because all of a sudden mana flood and mana screw isn't happening as often when half your cards have cycling. So if that's smoothed out, we have to increase the randomness somewhere else. So the cards don't look as exciting, but I, 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 I have had so much success in this format with just taking the best card, irrespective of any other picks out of the first four pack picks and then start to look for signals. And that's where I'm like, okay, here's a good pirate or here's a good dinosaur Here's a good merfolk. Let's move in and and kind of go with, with that strategy. So that can be a good removal card. It can be a solid creature that, that plays for both teams. Like I first picked a lot of hammer skulls. I first picked a lot of blood letters. Like um, I don't remember the, the name of the one to explore flying creature in blue, uh, but I, I've, I first picked some of those siren lookout. I'm not super yeah. excited about it, but like, that's a solid card that just goes in every blue deck and you're happy about it. And then yeah. once I can figure out what tribe is open to play with it, I'm pretty happy. We can also talk about pirates cutlass, because if you're picking that, like if you're thinking you're going to get one fourth pick, you're just wrong, man. Remember when you used to get them like seventh pick? Mm, yeah. Well, actually no, but I dream of that. No, there was a couple of drafts early on where I got them very, very late in pack two and, uh, it, it just made the deck. Um, yeah, that card is kind of amazing and it goes in everything, but I don't know. So like, okay, so so there's like 
I can see why people maybe don't like the flat power level. Yeah. You know, I can see why people think that the packs are flat. Um, but you were saying that they, they, this this format should teach you how to become a good drafter. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you should be able to you should be reading the signals and it's not just reading the signals in the colors. It's reading the signals in the tribes. OK, so we let's let's lump that in the good. So we say rewarding good drafting is probably good. Flat power level, maybe somewhere in the middle. Um, what about one of the things that I've noticed some people talk about is the, the quality of removal. Like. I, I think it's a bit of a miss. It's a miscategorization. I don't think the removal is bad. I think it's just that there are no good creatures to kill with it. So it's like you're using your no, no, like you're, you're using your, right. your un, you're using your unfriendly fire on a hill giant. You're using your lightning strike on a hill giant. You're like or, or on like a two drop or something like that, right? And it's like, well, well, this sucks. Like you're not killing a glory bringer with your contract killing. You're killing like I don't know a a territorial hammer skull, and you have to do that, and it sucks. But it's just like because all of the creatures are so close in power level, with the exception of some of the the really good uncommons, I guess. But you can't even kill some of those with the removal anyway, because they have hexproof or they pay for life and give it indestructible. Um, you know, it just feels like the removal sucks. Um, and then of course you get a card like Skullduggery, and that's amazing because of two for one value. But like, um, it feels hard to get a two for one with removal in this set for whatever reason. And all the creatures are so flat in power level that. Like, it's like, well, maybe I don't even need removal. I'll just bounce hill giants off them all day and, and feel okay with that. Creatures is a removal. Like, do you have any kind of take on that? Like, what do you think of that? I don't think removal is as important in this format as it has been in formats in the past. One of my mm-hmm. recent three O's was a 21 creature deck uh, that had absolutely no removal and it didn't drop a game. Like, I just didn't care. I had, I think, one ramp spell and one combat trick in my blue-green deck, and it was just spell creatures. It had two Tempest Callers and three Water Tap Weavers, and that was plenty. That's all I needed to do was just get crap on the board, play those, and then kill you, and it, it worked just fine. Those are basically removal spells, but but like that, that's kind of what I'm getting at, right, is that... Um, you, you, it feels like you can build a deck without removal, which is maybe one of the reasons why the packs feel so thin. Right. And you feel bad and you get to the end of your draft and it's like, well, geez, I have like one combat trick. This deck is going to suck. Um, but then you get in your games and you two one or three oh just fine. And it's like, well, you know, maybe it wasn't that bad. But I can see when drafting, I can see why you would think that this is bad because you don't have your typical 15 creature, eight removal spell or, or like six removal spell and a couple of other things. Well, see, that's another thing where I'm like, you got to adjust, man, because the reason you would pick removal early in the old packs like uh, 10 years ago, isn't because removal is better than creatures. It's it's not. You can't kill your opponent with removal. You kill your opponent with creatures in limited. It's because the creatures in the old sets were terrible. Like, they were all five mana three threes. There were a few creatures, a few good creatures that you'd see that you would take over removal. You just didn't see them that often. And the removal was so efficiently costed, you're like, well, I may as well gobble this up. Because this Doom Blade will kill my opponent's six mana three three flyer, which was the bomb creature in the format, and now we get five mana three three flash flyers, and we're like, uh, maybe I'll play it. I don't know. I may not have room for this in my hyper aggro deck. It's like, yeah, when you look at things through that lens, like they've just kind of flattened out a little bit. Where the creatures are stronger, the removal's worse. So I'm I'm often picking creatures far more so than removal. I. I barely play unfriendly fire and I'm like, I, I kind of want one in an aggressive red deck so it can go to the face, but you're absolutely right. It sucks to kill a hill giant with, and that's what you're going to do with it. And sometimes you need to, but I'm looking at it as a flexible lava axe, not a removal spell. Modal spells. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so actually this is just a random aside as I was kind of doing a little thought experiment here, but like if you had your choice of a single, common or uncommon removal spell pick one pack one like every time what would you take is it skullduggery is is it that good or do you would you prefer like a contract killing or a light i guess maybe lightning strike lightning strikes uncommon the 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 thing that i would pick most often would actually be pious interdiction really yeah what about ixalan's binding over it same card same card but yeah sure let's take exelon's binding if we can because a big part of what people are doing is that i'm going to play a one drop and put an enchantment on it 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want to get a two for one with it. Yeah. And it, it's so much easier to do that. Whereas if I have lightning strike and I'm tapped out when they put one with the wind on their three, three, I just lose the game and I can't do anything about it. Same with vanquish the week, same with everything else. So like, I, I like the things that just come down cleanly and deal with a creature because typically they can handle that. Um, runner ground is just fine with that too. Cause most of the time you just need to get the stupid aura off the thing and don't care if they draw it again. Aura has the or the aura. The runner ground has the modal spell of or the modal text of you know you know tempo your opponent out um, or just like lock them out of the game entirely. It's kind of like win the game or delay the win. Yeah, is what it feels like. Yeah. Um. I've. I mean, I know a lot of people, and this is like I'm late to the party on this one, but like Skullduggery is like super impressed me. It's really um, good. And and I'm disappointed that I won't see it like late in the pick in the packs as as much as I used to. I think. But like um, anywhere you can get a two for one in this format feels so good because, you know, if everything is a hill giant, obviously getting two hill giants is better, but you need to kind of get those efficiencies somewhere. Um, and if you can get two hill giants, you feel a lot better than just getting one. Yeah, but that's why they call it a two for one. Mind rot is finally at the uncommon slot, which it deserves because it's a built in mm. two for one. I've been that's pretty true. happy playing that. OK, so format of hill giants removal sucks. Uh, sucks with a quotation mark around it. Yeah, but removal is sucked for years. Deal with it. Sure, but like it sucks because you're using it on hill giants. So that means that the format feels then, in in theory, like just extrapolating this, uh, heavily combat based, right? Yeah. Heavily focused on combat. Would you say that's accurate? Okay. Yes, for sure. A lot, a lot of, I would say, top players. Maybe not. Maybe not a lot of top players. A lot of vocal players, uh, pros especially, don't seem like they like combat based magic as much as like control magic you counter know, spell draw tricky five magic. on your upkeep tap that exactly you know the, the days of esper control uh you know in standard in uh, rtr days right drago with sphinx's revelation mm-hmm. so standard aside limited i mean obviously it's always been more combat based than anything but this set does it feel more combat based than formats previous yeah, there's less cute tricksy things that you're doing. Like in Kaladesh block, we had some cute things we could do with energy. And boy, did we do some cute things with energy, making infinite thopters and, and having some cool combo decks. Um, you know, one of the things that Innistrad had that this doesn't have was a bad mill deck, but you, you could do it and pull it off sometimes. Um, it had some build around uncommons that this set I think wanted to have, but they just didn't quite get there. There, There is no spider spawning. There is no burning vengeance. Honestly, if you're drafting Innistrad on flashback, though, there is no spider spawning. There is no burning vengeance because everybody's fighting over the same thing. So it's kind of like that That didn't really hold up upon further inspection either. But I, th- those are kind of like initial thoughts on that. Okay. So, all right. Another thing that I think people probably don't like, and you've already mentioned this, is that creature-based, not a lot of removal, or at least the removal doesn't feel as good. It's easier to go all in on a Voltron or lose to somebody that goes all in on a creature with enchantments and the like. Mm -hmm. And I can see where people would say that that sucks, obviously. And it does suck to lose to, but it, I mean, it also sucks to lose to a glory bringer. So to, like, it's the same thing I look at it as. I see it that way too, but I mean, it's probably a cooler story to tell your friends, you know, well, I got the Whirler Virtuoso and then I got this other card that makes energy. And then I managed to put together the three modules. So every turn I was making two, two, two thopters and netting and energy and then attacking in the air. And because I had, you know, the fabrication like that, that's really cool. It's not as cool to say, well, I played Abdanto's Vanguard on turn two, and then I put one with the wind on it, and I attacked for five every turn until my opponent died. And it didn't take that long. That That's less of a cool story, but like that wins games of magics too. I like that story a lot more, actually. I like the Adanto Vanguard. All of my best magic stories start with, I played a turn two Adanto Vanguard, and then a turn three Hammer Skull. That's a pretty good start too. That's a pretty good start too. Pretty good story. Um, but like, I can see why people wouldn't like that, right? Like they don't like the butcher's cleaver on the invisible stalker in, in Estrad, but mostly because you can't deal with it. Um, but like, you know, you go turn two, four, three, turn three pirates cutlass, you know, how are you going to beat that? Um, without, you know, I guess contract killing on turn five, pious interdiction on turn four. Like I can see where people would get salty about that and attribute that 
to the format just sucking in general. But I mean, it's it's draw dependent too. Like, how many four threes do I have in my deck, and how many cutlasses do I have in my deck? Right. And and you're not wrong. I'm just saying that you lose to that twice over like maybe let's say 50 games. You're going to remember that a lot more than you know losing because your opponent curved out on you. Yeah. Every other game that you lost. Yeah. Right. So like I don't know. I'm just saying like I see where people would think that that is not not good for the format and not not an, not indicative of a good format i would say i would encourage them to try gatecrash when it comes back on flashbacks like set, sets of magic are on a spectrum of how fast is the set and we just watched m and cat which a lot of people said was too fast and they didn't like morph into hour of devastation which was beautiful and wonderful and i think you pointed out on the podcast it was just that hour of devastation was great it didn't really have anything to do with m and cat um, so like, we don't have to be sad that the two block sets are going away and that, that may happen here. Who knows what rivals of Ixalan will bring us, but like, this is a, a, a set that can lean more aggressive and has a relatively flat power level in the commons. That's the set we've got to play. It kind of doesn't matter how it stacks up, but I, I don't think it's bad, right? I think we've seen pretty good magic sets churned out probably since the original Innistrad came out on the heels of New Phyrexia. I actually went back and played uh, the the New Phyrexia block um, not too long ago when it was on flashbacks, and then again in a paper draft last time I was in Montreal, and it actually wasn't that good. I had fond memories of it, I think because I liked the flavor and the Phyrexians, but it was kind of just awful. Half your creatures had infect, half of them didn't, and it was like, how am I supposed to actually kill somebody with this? The the removal wasn't all that great. It was kind of clunky and weird. You did have Grasp of Darkness at common, but that just made everybody else kind of feel like unfair because they didn't get it. And it was only in one of the packs and it was a big set. It was just, it's just weird. But I think after that, we've had relatively good sets come out since then. And I think this is one of them. I think it's just a good, solid, modern magic set. It's not going to make my top five. It's probably not even going to make my top 10. But like, to call this the worst limited format ever is is just a huge disservice to to this set. I don't dig the flavor either, but I didn't dig the flavor on on Kaladesh. That didn't do anything for me. Like, I, I get that they're kind of going for like conquistadors in Central America, but they're kind of for me ruining it with like and there's dinosaurs and mermaids. Um, maybe that'll pay off in the next next set. Maybe I had people speculating in chat today about like, are we going to have Mardu vampires and Bant merfolk? Like, is that where we're going? And that'd be kind of cool. We've had white merfolk in the past. I'd I'd dig that. But like, as as far as it goes now, like I just, I I don't see that as detracting from the format. The fact that it's aggressive, like a lot of the people that are, Oh, it sucks. It's so aggressive. And, and they can play an enchantment on a thing. Like, do you remember Wingsteed Rider? Did you play original Zendikar? Like, you've played aggressive formats and you liked them, and you've played formats that were about Voltroning and you liked them. The problem now isn't that. It's that you can't open a a good black card, second pick a good black card, and guarantee that you're going to play them. You actually have to draft and read signals. Thinking about Voltron, I really like Theros. I know a lot of people didn't, but I really like Theros, and that was all about the Voltron. So I really can't complain when somebody goes one with the wind on anything and crushes me because I would go hopeful Eidolon on anything and crush my opponents. So I feel like maybe it's just karma getting me back. <laughs> might be, might be. Um. Okay, so like one last thing I can think of that people don't like, well, maybe two. So like, where do the mechanics fall for you? Like, are they good, bad, indifferent? Like, just as a whole, like, Raid. God, I can't even think what the other ones are. Enrage. Explore. Explore. Like, I think they're good. I mean, Raid was... I mean, Raid was good in cons. It's maybe not as good here. Um, I like Explore a lot, but it's pretty plain. And... Enrage, I think it is hit or miss, depending on the creature. But I think for the most part, it adds some interesting... Um, dynamics to the cards is just you end up in a lot of board stalls most of the time where oh i'm not attacking in my opponent because i don't want to give them anything at all um i don't want to give them a land i don't give them plus one plus one counters i don't want to give them anything like what do you think about that i think raid is an interesting mechanic and i think it was done well here i think it was done well the last time we saw it in cons it incentivizes us to play some of the one drops and it's not every limited format where you can get playable one drops and i kind of dig that 
Like it gives you the, this deck can have a particular draw that's very good, but I could also end up drawing a one drop on turn five or six that doesn't actually do much. So I think Raid was a big hit. I think Enrage overall kind of sucks. I just, like, draft in and draft out, I haven't seen that do much. Most of them read, when this creature dies, do this thing, because that that's how it works out. So it, it's not like I'm giving you lands. It's like when I trade with your raptor, you get a land. When yeah. when you trade with your sun crown hunter, I take three damage. And that that's most of what they say. The thing that I noted about the, about Enrage is that it was almost like everything had death touch because of the way it warped the board. Your opponent would never block and they would never attack into your blockers if they had Enrage is what it seemed like. The only one that I see that doesn't really matter is the 3-2 that gains life. Everything else, though, is like it's like hot lava. Don't touch. Yeah, yeah. Only block it if you can kill it. Um, I think treasure added an interesting dynamic here because you had the idea of, you know, a blue base deck that could splash multiple cards. I played a blue green deck today that was splashing a pious interdiction and a charging monster sore with no basics. I had five treasure producers and I was like, that's plenty for these two cards and they're good. So I'm going to put them in it. And I think that one was a 3-0. So I think Treasure was really interesting tacking it on to some of the effects, making them a little more expensive, but then they can pay you off later with either ramp or with fixing. And I thought that was Mm -hmm. really unique, and I'm glad that they added that in there. And then Explorer did feel a little boring. It also felt a little swingy because like, it's kind of a fancy scry, and we've talked about all the difference of how it's not exactly a scry, but it's kind of a scry. It's basically a scry. And like... Even if you were looking for a land, you still wanted to hit a non-land and bin it rather than just draw the land because the creatures were so much better when they got the counter. Like a 3-2 first strike is a completely different card than a 2-1 first strike. It's it's just huge. And there's times where like your opponent plays the 3-3 explored or the uh, Wayfinder, the green one. They play one and hit and then you untap and you play one and don't hit. And all of a sudden you're getting run over by the same card you just played, but you can't block and you can't trade with it. So like it, it kind of led, led to some weird random variance moments where like you, you needed the counter and you didn't get it. And it was neat that it created tension, but it, it, that could be a mechanic that I think was a bit of a whiff. And, and none of them were like splashy or exciting or really cool, like cycling and embalm basically flashback for creatures and then Eternalize, which is essentially the same thing. Like, those are just value mechanics. They're exciting, they're cool, they're flashy, and these aren't. That doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they're they're not... Like, you can play games with these cards and not even notice that you're using the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Explore, I like, I like, I like Explore as a concept because I like the value it gets, but I don't like the gambling nature of it. Like, when I when I need to stick a 3-3 and, it, it, and I end up with a 2-2... Uh, you know, I, I feel real bad about that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, or if my opponent plays a two one, that's actually a three two. Um, what's the green one on on two mana? And like, I, and I can't beat it. Yeah, and I can't beat it because I don't have a creature till turn, turn three or something like that. Um, you know, like like that kind of like I don't like that kind of randomness kind of in my card game. You know, cards off the top of the deck. That's the nature of the game. Um, but like, if I could replace Explorer with something else, maybe I would. But like, then Explorer also has the upside of just smoothing out your draws, right? And it's like, you know, you, you do get an extra card if your creature is smaller and you get deeper to something else that you might need later on. But you're right. I think you just always want to hit and bin or hit and keep on top. You never want to hit that land unless you have a follow-up play, right? There there have been some interesting decision points where it's like, you know, do I play an explore creature and try to hit a land and then play another two drop after that? Or I just, just stick another three drop or something like that, something that's guaranteed to be a little bit bigger. Um, but, but I think those, those decision points are kind of few and far between. And there's also that awkward moment where you reveal a card that you want to keep, but it's very situational. And now that your opponent knows about it, it's like, well, okay, I revealed my cancel or I revealed this particular combat trick. That's, that's somewhat narrow dive down, for example. And like, well, I kind of want it, but now that they know I have it, it kind of loses its value because they're not going to go to do anything until they know they can beat this. Yep. And then becomes this cat and mouse game of like, well, do I play? Do I tap out because they know that I have it and they're just going to, you know, wait till I tap out and make them use it. And then I have it for later. Or do I like not play my five drop and hold up my dive down so that 
so that I can get them, even though they know that they have it and they're going to play their second best removal. I, I don't know. Those cat and mouse games, those next levelings, that's that's maybe a bit much for me sometimes. Yeah, but but I, I think at the end, like I can use that to my knowledge as well when somebody reveals a situational card like that. Be like, okay, well, I guess I'll try to bounce your guy now and save my entrancing melody for later. So like it, it, it works both ways. I, again, it, the mechanics come off as making it seem rather simple because all they're doing is like ramping or fixing your mana, rewarding you for attacking, which you already wanted to do, rewarding you for getting your creatures in combat, which I mean, that's what creatures are born for. And, and then giving you something that seems very similar to scry, which we've seen over and over, but introduces some more randomness. So I, I don't think the mechanics are bad. I just don't think they're anything revolutionary. They're, they're nothing close to like what we saw with energy that was new, exciting, and had never been seen before. And then cycling is like a lot of people's favorite mechanic, you know, and compare it to things in the past morph. We had clues not that long ago, like I would way rather have clues than treasure tokens. Oh my God. Clues were so good. You just got like this real happy, wistful look on your face when I said clues. Remember clues? Clues were great. Yeah. I remember Thraben Inspector. Oh, so good. It was. It was. The one the one drop you were happy to play. Yeah. All right. So where do we where do we come down then? So we've got a bunch of good, a bunch of bad. I think just somewhere in the middle, probably. Like I'm not even and I'm not even like copping out on that. I, I really think it's just somewhere in the middle. I do. I think this is a fun set to draft. I think there's some lessons to learn here which will make you a better drafter. If you can get comfortable with the idea of I'm gonna pick the best card out of the first three packs that I'm past, and then if in the fourth one there's a strong signal that I should jump ship, instead of complaining that there's no playables for me, I'm just gonna do that. I'm going to do it right now. I don't care that you have two hammer skulls and a bishop soldier. If you get past the, uh, you know, gold card for blue green, just take it, just take it and move in. Your neighbors are saying, I'm going to, I'm going to pass you an awesome merfolk deck. Do you want it? You'd be like, no, I definitely want to play these cards. I first picked like, you just can't do that here. And the fact that you could in, I don't know, the past five formats we've had is going to make people feel like they're drafting this, like it's a terrible set when it's not you're just not drafting it right i think if we were drafting formats i would hope to get ixalan on the wheel yeah that's probably fair that that's you know, a better like, title like, for the I'm, episode too but i i can tell uh, you. ixalan on the wheel yeah yeah mm. it works but no like seriously like like it's not in your first few picks because that's like cons and, you know, Innistrad for some people, an hour of devastation, right? And then it's not aggro enough to, to get picked highly by the people that like aggro. And it's not, you know, it's got a lot of creatures. So people that don't like creatures are going to pass on it. It's not but super like if it came dirty, around, like, yeah. If it came around like pick nine, I'd be like, sure. I mean, if it wasn't here, I wouldn't really care. But now that it's here, I mean, it's better than Avacyn Restored. I don't know. Yeah, it's better than Dragon's Maze. Like I love Dragon's Maze. Ah, clue stones were awful. Yeah, the clue stones. Opening were your pack and seeing three clue stones. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, there, there were too. Gonna, there were too many clue stones. But if you want to do stupid, dirtily stuff, like that's a fun format to do it in. Yeah, we've talked about that before. But we have. We have. Anyway, okay, so that's where we come down. So get it on the wheel, and uh, and if it's not there, don't cry about it. There'll be other similar formats you can pick up late in the draft. Yeah, but go play some Ixalan and and try it out. Just try it for me. Take your first few packs. Don't care what you've picked. Just start looking for signals. This is one where getting the signal is so much more important than sending it. Like I learned a lot from Ray when we talked to him about how to send a signal. But you, you got to trust me on this one. Just read the signal. Your neighbors are telling you what they want you to draft. All you have to do is take it. Unless you're doing one of those four pack drafts, that's a weird one. Just pick all the good cards because you get enough playables in, in pack four. Yeah, that's how you make Ixalan into the limited format you're used to is just add another pack. You know, actually, that might not be a bad idea. You just blew my mind. Yeah, I might go do that. Actually, they're probably not running on this weekend, but that did seem kind of like a lot of fun. That's a bit of an aside, but like I kind of like what Wizards are doing with the uh, promotional side of things. I know people are going to be like, oh, they're just trying to sell more packs. It's like, well, of course they're trying to sell more packs, but like they're also trying to get more people interested um, in in drafting in general, and they're not going to take three-pack drafts away. Don't worry about that. That'll be a staple of things to come, but like I kind of like what they're doing to get people out, and like the last couple of times I did go to draft, there's a lot of people out there drafting paper, and that wasn't necessarily a thing before, you know, Hour of Devastation, right? Amonkhet, um, 
it was hard to get a draft sometimes uh, in paper anyway. So I'm pretty happy with where they're going, at least from a overall health of the game perspective. If more people playing the game that we love is better for us and better for the game. Bingo. All right. So let's spend some time shifting gears into uh, t- talking about the PTQ system. So you, you I, this isn't really soapbox topic for you, but you've had a lot of people that always come in and say, hey, you're in the PTQ finals, but this isn't the finals. You're building your seal deck. What's up here? Um, and you wanted to talk about basically how the PTQ system works. We've talked about the mocks before, but the PTQ is a little bit different. Um, and it's changed recently between limited and standard and modern. So um, maybe you can give us the details and, and fill us in on that since you've well, basically play in them all the time now. Yeah, I, I try to play in one every week that they have them as long as I can and I'm qualified. It, it's I'll, I'll speak as it is now and I'll say that it has absolutely nothing to do with the paper system. So most people are used to winning a PPTQ, what they would call a preliminary Pro Tour qualifier in paper. That gets you invited to a regional qualifier, and then you place highly in that, and you're invited to the Pro Tour. So that is the paper path to the Pro Tour. On Magic Online, that is not the path. On Magic Online, just about every weekend, they're running two Pro Tour qualifier finals, is what they call them. PTQ finals. Usually, on Saturday, it's a constructed event. That could be standard or modern. And usually, on Sunday, it's a limited event, which is always sealed. Now, sometimes they won't have one this weekend because there's a mox, or they won't have one that weekend because it's a release event, but usually you'll see those on the weekend. For the constructed PTQ finals, all you need to do is show up with a constructed deck that's appropriate to the format, 30 tickets, and enter your in. There will be a Swiss number of rounds, right? So it'll be determined on attendance somewhere between 7 and 9, usually 9. After those rounds, there will be a cut to top 8, So the top eight players from that event will play again, and the winner of that goes to the Pro Tour. The person who comes in second does not go to the Pro Tour. There is one winner for each of these events. Okay. Now, the PTQ Finals for Limited works the same way, except to enter it, it does not cost 30 tickets. It costs a token. To get the token, you have to play in a PPTQ, a Preliminary Pro Tour Qualifier. These are run throughout the week. Uh, they're five round events, Swiss. They're not leagues, right? So you have to wait between rounds and everything like that. But if you finish four, one or better, so you win four rounds or you win five rounds, in addition to PAX's prizes, you get the token for entry. So if you see somebody playing in a standard or modern PTQ, all they did was pay the tickets to enter and have their deck. If they're playing in the limited PTQ finals, they had to earn that spot. The reason being, it can sometimes be expensive to buy constructed decks on Magic Online, whereas in Limited, there is no cost associated other than the cost of the event. So they found that when they ran standard ones, they had a pretty manageable amount of people show up. When they ran limited ones, the system crashed because everybody and their mama joined. So they, they kind of just put this little gate in there, like, okay, before you go into the PTQ, you're going to have to earn your spot. So that's what they're going for there. And the reason I'll title it in the stream Limited PTQ Finals is that's the name of the event. But at the end of that, it it plays the same way as the constructed ones do. All 300 people will play Swiss rounds, usually nine of them. At the end of that, usually the people who have gone eight and one will draft in the top eight. The winner of that will go to the Pro Tour. The person who comes in second, which I have done before, does not go to the Pro Tour. They don't have to pay for Moto for a very, very long time. I'm still living off the winnings from that. Um, But they're not going to the Pro Tour. It's just one person. So that's the path to the Pro Tour through Magic Online. And it has no bearing or relation to the paper system, which is completely different and cool as far as I'm concerned, just not relevant to this discussion. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So now when somebody comes into your chat and they say, hey, you're in the finals... What is, or like, who else is in the top eight with you? You can tell them, chat member, not necessarily Travis, because he's not paying attention, but you out there, listener, can say to them, hold on one second, there's a podcast that spent five minutes talking about this, and he's actually in the PTQ finals, which is a nine-round event, plus a top eight. He's not quite in the top eight yet. Yeah. That's the key. We really want you to say that to those people. Yes, or just link them to the podcast. That's even better. 
they're jerks and they don't understand that. No, but like it, it can be confusing. <laughs> they're not right? jerks. And they're you, just you, ignorant, right? And somebody who's ignorant can learn. They can get better. I'm ignorant about a lot of things. And a, as I learn about them, I become less ignorant. There you go. Um, but really, it, it was really simple. And um, I don't know, like for some people, maybe it's 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 the best way to try to qualify for the Pro Tour, right? Like regional PTQs can be tough to get to. Um, you know, not a lot of places have, I guess a lot of places have the paper PPTQs, but the regional PTQs I know around me, like you got to travel at least a couple of hours to go to. And I imagine in some places you have to go even further. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, you're gonna have to fade a 300 person field at some point. Why don't you do it online first and then make the pro tour? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it is a time investment though. So if like you're thinking about playing in these, you're talking like eight or nine hours if you're going to make the top eight at least, right? Oh yeah. You're that's, that's what you're doing that day. But the benefit of, of doing this as opposed to like going to a GP or something and GPs are fun. I'm not saying anything negative about GPs, but when I finish a round of a magic online PTQ, I can go to the bathroom. I don't have to wait in line. It's my bathroom. I can go grab a bag of chips and a soda. If, if I lose the first two rounds, I don't get in a car and drive six hours to go home or wait for a flight. I can go hang out with my wife and watch TV. Like we can do whatever we want. So like there's some advantages to being able to do this from your home as well. And that's, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it was to get people like people will say, should I play in the PTQs? Well, like, do you, do you want to play on the pro tour? If you do, you should play in them. Is it tough competition? Yeah, but that's what makes you better. So getting your butt kicked in a PTQ may be something that may actually be great for you just to let you know kind of what the, the challenge is like. Yeah. And um, I mean, obviously, the cost is there and the prize structure is fairly poor uh, as far as payout wise, like uh, places that pay out. Right. Like it's only like top 32, isn't it? Correct. Payout. Correct. Yeah. So like 300 people like you got to spike top 10 percent of the tournament. Um which I think is worse than a GP, right? A GP is usually a little better than top 10%, isn't it? I guess it depends on the size, but like, um, maybe you're shaking your head. Maybe it's not. I thought it was better than the top 10%, but like, even still, like you have a thousand, you know, 1500 people at a GP and sometimes they pay down to 64, at least the last one I went to like, the, the, right. You, you got to hit a certain break point. It's not a percentage of players, but you got to hit a certain break point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean like still like, you know, you're, you're likely going to kiss that 30 tickets goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if you're playing sealed, I mean, I guess you're playing in it for free if you're playing for sealed because uh, it doesn't cost you anything to play in the sealed one. It just costs you to enter the uh, the preliminary event, which if you win, I believe you break even, right? Yes. You need to four. Like, like if you go, if you go four one, you break even, right? Correct. Plus the token. Plus the token. So like if you're looking to play for low cost, that is probably your way to do it. Um, but if, you know, if cost is no object, then I guess the standard one is probably the best way to go or the modern one, if you have all the cards already. So like, it is a good way to, to practice. It's probably the same practice as you would get at a GP, except you can play one a week instead of maybe one every couple of months, depending on your travel budget. Um, so if you have nine hours to spend on a Saturday, I could think of worse things to do. I would say that it's probably harder than playing at a GP and the competition that you will face is tougher because nobody was like, Oh, there's a PTQ on my computer this weekend. I'll just give it a shot since I'm already here. Right? Like when there's a GP, I've played at GPs in various towns. I've traveled to GPs and I've played at them in my hometown here in Northern Virginia. I played at GPDC. Like I was one of those local guys that was there and I've played against the, the local guys and gals that are there. And some of them are just like, it's my first GP. I figured since it was here in my town, I'd give it a shot. That's not exactly the same level of competition as you know, Huey Jensen flew out here so he could play in this event. There's a different level between those folks. So I would say it's, it's really tough competition. It's good for you. It'll make you better. It is going to cost you like 30 bucks ain't free and it's $30 us. So that's like $500 for you Canadians, right? Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. So like it, it's going to cost you, but the competition's levels there. And that's what I want to do is play against people who are better than me as often as I can. Like that's how I'm going to get better at the game. I mean, we've talked about that before. Playing on Magic Online will make you a better Magic player in general. Mm -hmm. So, agree. Might as well play against the best. All right. So, you've got a Mox this weekend, though, not a PPTQ or a PTQ finals. Sorry. Um, you want to talk a little bit about selecting your standard deck? I do. I it, just just briefly. Um, as you're starting to get ready for a new format, 
if there's a, a obvious best deck in the format, you need to at least try it and understand it and know what it, what's going on with it. And I, I don't think we've had a best deck in the format since Aetherworks Marvel was banned. Because like at, at that point, if you weren't playing Marvel, you were kind of doing it wrong. There were some other decks that were exceptionally heavy tuned to try to beat Marvel and still had trouble with it. So it was kind of like, that was the best deck and you should just play it. Now we've got Teamer Energy, which seems to be the best deck when it's in the hands of the most capable players, but you'll still see other decks making placements here and there. So for me, as I was starting to try out these decks, um, this is the the final Mox event. The person that wins this, I, actually I think it's the top two, will be invited to that big tournament where we all sit down across each from each other with laptops and play Magic Online for you know a million dollars or whatever. I'd love to go to that. That would obviously be a Pretty big deal for the stream, right? Mox champion Travis Simulan Sowers. I like the ring of that. They probably wouldn't use your name, like your middle name like that. Your stream name, I mean. I bet I could make that happen. Actually, I think they all use their stream names. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like as I'm starting this, I qualified for it with the Romeo Nap Red deck. Now, this was still when they were Eldrazi legal and I had some Eldrazi in that deck. It was kind of a rogue version of it, if you will. Um, so I started out and played a few leagues with the teamer energy and it was actually really hard to get some of the lines. And I was like, I'm just screwing up a lot with this. I'm going to try Romeo Nap Red again because I feel like that deck probably has some free wins. Um, the reason to take a deck to a big tournament that has free wins like that, if it's not the best deck is you think you're going to be playing against people who are better than you. And like, mm-hmm. I think that's probably what's going to happen if I go to a standard tournament. If this was sealed, I, I wouldn't be thinking that. But like this, this is not exactly my forte. So I tried Rummy Nap Red again, and it was just awful. Like it didn't have the free wins that I expected. I was kind of getting stonewalled by that same energy deck and by Scarab Gods. So I, I think in the end, what I've decided is I'm gonna check out the Pro Tour this weekend, and uh, whatever the best deck is, I'm gonna just jam that all week, and then we'll take it to the box on uh, next Saturday and see what happens. Right. And it'll probably be Teamer Energy. It'll probably be Teamer Energy. Although I have some secret tech for you, and I don't know if any of the pros have figured this out. And I'm going to talk about one card that I put in a Teamer Energy deck. I took Brad Nelson's list, and I just put two cards in there. Two cards that I wanted to play. Can you guess what it is? I can't, actually. You may not have played enough standard for, for this to, to like ring in there. But two copies of River Hoopo in that deck is absolutely absurd. Really, just to grab the card advantage, hey? Let me tell you why, okay? So Rumanap Red is still a deck, and after the initial onslaught, there's a bunch of two ones that are trying to kill you. Cool. I'll block. Sometimes in the mirror, you flood out while your opponent is making Thopter tokens. I'll block them, gain life, draw cards. Like, when I played that Hoopo, I had people use Confiscation Coup to take it, and then say in chat, wow, River Hoopo. Like when I first played it, they'd be like, lol, River Hoopo. And then later, spoiled it. when they're working, like doing everything they can to take it, they're like, wow, River Hoopo. So like maybe test drive that little guy out. I was really happy with that in the Teamer Energy decks. That wasn't what I was screwing up on. What I was screwing up on was like sequencing and like, what land do I get with the Attune with Aether? And how do I manage my energy? Do I pump this? Do I not pump this? What should I play around? What should I like? There's a lot of stuff going on there, but that one little two of in that deck, I found to actually be quite good. Hmm. So, okay. So like, let, let, I want to, I want to walk through your process here real quick and just kind of summarize it. Cause like if, if I was going into a tournament and I don't you know play a lot of standard or something like that. So like, let's start with the obvious that like just net deck, who cares? Don't, don't brew your own deck. Um, there's like maybe 1% of, of top of, of top players that brew decks and everybody else just uses their decks. Um, so don't feel like you have to brew anything from, from scratch. So that's step one. Step two is just take the best deck. Yep. I, I want to adjust on step one, like step 0.5, you're going to a tournament, decide what you want to do at that tournament. What is your goal? If your goal is to win that tournament, then yes, you need to net deck. If you think it's fun to brew decks and take it to a tournament and you'd rather lose but have that dream that maybe you win with your own deck and that's what's getting you out of bed to go to the event, by all means, brew whatever the heck you want. But like, if you want to win, I'm not starting looking at card combinations. I'm doing exactly what Dave said and looking and seeing what Brad Nelson played last week. Yeah, exactly. So 
brew your own fine, whatever, but you, you might you probably won't win. Net deck and you have a small percentage chance to win. So that's step one. Step two is obviously jam a bunch of games with that deck. And and you're I think you're looking for a couple of things. So you noted something that's interesting here is that you were screwing up on a lot of lines. And it's not because you're a bad magic player, it's because you don't have the reps with the deck and you don't have the experience with the deck. Right? So there's knowing how to play magic. There's knowing how to play your deck, and then there's knowing how to play your deck well. And I, th- I think those are like the three levels of, of, of I guess, pre- preparation for a tournament. Like mm-hmm. everybody knows how to play magic, right? You can give me a standard deck and you can sit me down and, you know, I'll be a coin flip at, in, in a lot of games, let's say, right? Yeah. Um, but, but against somebody that has a finely tuned deck that has played it for months... I'm at a, at a distinct disadvantage. If you give me a deck that's 60% to win on the surface and you put it in, in my hands and I've never played it, I'm shedding 20%, right, against a good player. Like, maybe I'm only 40% to win. And those kinds of edges you can't really give up if you're expecting or hoping to win a lot of games. So what, what you recognized, and you've done this before, I think you did it in Modern, is where you tried a deck that was the deck of the week and it was really good you were struggling with it and you just went back to old faithful because you had a better win percentage even though it was a worse deck it was better in your hands than the other deck right and i think recognizing that takes a big person like you need to be intellectually honest with yourself and know that um and you can't be too proud to say well you know what i don't know how to play this deck even if it is the best deck um and the energy deck is a really good example of that because um sequencing with lands like even just knowing what land to play on what turn early in the game can can mess you up right and i've played on magic online with easier decks where i've screwed up land right it's like i really need a double red next turn and i can't do that now because i played three blue sources or something like that right like i've done things like that before with simpler decks so it can be very easy to screw up a tune with aether um and then obviously knowing how much energy to save like with your long tusk cub or like your hydra or like when do you protect your cub against removal and things like that there's a lot of very complicated nuanced lines with decks like that whereas a deck like ramanap red is just like well how fast can i deal damage to my opponent and the decisions are i would say less significant um with with a deck like ramanap red a lot of the time i would say the decisions are far more significant in ramanap red however there's less of them sure so i have i have maybe 10 decisions to make and I need to get nine of them right to win with Rummy Nap Red, whereas I have 40 decisions to make with Team or Energy, and I need to get 35 of them right. Right. So it's like That's fair. there's just so many more decisions to make that it's easier to, to lose them. So like I, I, basically what Dave said really summed that up well is like try the best deck if you can get the hang on it or you have enough time. And like I've got all next week. I think streaming 40 hours, I can probably figure out how to play team or energy and play it well. And I think that will be one of the better decks at the pro tour, right? Like I think we're going to see that deck make a showing energy is kind of a busted mechanic. It's, it's Marvel as Marvel, right? I liked Marvel quite a bit. So we'll probably be trying that and doing that next week. But if I do it for three days and it ain't working, we're switching to whatever deck number two is. Cause I'd rather go in there with a deck that loses five percentage points, but where I get every percentage point that deck can have because I understand it. Yeah. And, um, and that might even just be dropping down to it to an easier deck to play or, or a deck that is potentially counter to the meta as well. Right. So like you kind of have to, if your first deck is not working out, taking back and going back to that net deck, net deck step and like repeating the process of, okay, is there a better deck out there for me? How does this match up against other decks? You know, there's like a mono black aggro deck and there's a, there's a puppet deck and there's like a, you know, there's the Ramanap red deck and there's the Scarab God decks and there's all these decks out there. The meta seems to be quite diverse these days. You should be able to find something you can like and play um, and play well, hopefully. I mean, 40 hours, You'll know how to play the deck, but you're not going to have the reps that somebody that has like, you know, 2000 games under their belt, for example. So getting into a level of competency, I think, is is probably all you can expect in a, in a short turnaround time. Um, not a lot of people can master their decks, but you're right. Squeeze every last percentage point you can out of your deck and feel confident with it. Um, and then potentially put your stamp on it with one or two sideboard changes or something like that. Like you said, um, trying to trying to squeak out that extra percentage point in the matchup or in the in the in the mirror match or or, or beating Ramanap red for example if you think that's going to be a big deck but um i wouldn't sweat that too much if it's your first couple of tournaments 
Yeah, just play the deck before you start fiddling with it. That's a good point, too. Like, until you understand the deck and what it's doing, don't start, well, I like this card, so I'm going to put it in there. Even though I did do that with River Hoopo, I probably shouldn't have. I should have just played the matches out, but I, I broke the format. I'm a standard genius. But you've played enough standard. Yeah. Right? Like, you've, you've, you've dabbled in it, and you've played uh, when Teamer Energy was was fresh and new energy. Uh, anyway, right? Before uh, or after um, Aetherworks Marvel was banned, right? Mm-hmm. There was still a Teamer Energy deck flying around. So, like... You know the you know enough about that, um, but like somebody who's brand new going to a GP for the first time or whatever, right? Yeah, maybe maybe just pick a deck and go. Mm-hmm. Agree. I I I think that's it. What do you think? Yeah, I think we covered everything. I think we did. We kind of jumped around a little bit there, but but that's okay. We're trying to fit it in just right around that hour mark, which it looks like we did. So, and we gotta um, get used to working with each other again. Oh man, yeah, it was it was uh, it was good. I think we bounced back and forth a little bit on that one. We you know relayed a few things off each other. I think we're good. I think we're getting back into it here. So hmm. just in time for our one year anniversary. Heck yeah! I didn't get you anything. Do you remember when that is? No, and we say that we, that same joke every single time. And it's funny every single time. People are still. Laughing. It's coming up. It's yeah, they're laughing at us, not with us. Yeah, probably. Um, any homework this week? Watch the Pro Tour. Yeah, watch the Pro Tour and then come on my stream Monday and tell me what standard deck I should be playing. There you go. Do Travis's homework for him because he's not watching the Pro Tour. Because <laughs> he's a negative Nancy. He's a Debbie Downer. I'd rather just watch the replays and watch it live. That's true. I can skip through all the shuffling. There is a lot of shuffling. We don't shuffle Magic. on Magic That's... Online. We don't. We don't. There's too many bugs with shuffling anyway. So Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Once again, I'd like to thank uh, Face-to-Face Games and Mana Deprived for all of their support and their hosting. And uh, if you want to catch Travis or myself on the internets, Travis, they can catch you at twitch.tv slash Simulan or on Twitter, I'm at Simulan. And I am uh, DCivilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N on both. Um, You know, once I'm not sick, I'll probably stream again. So it'd be cool to see you there. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week. So uh, we'll see you next time for episode 42. Cool. Thanks for listening. Bye.